My name is Brittany Davis. I am a medical education coordinator at the University of Virginia, and I provide support to the gastroenterology, hepatology, and transplant hepatology fellowships. What do you wish somebody would have told you when you first started? Yeah, I think my biggest advice and what I wish someone would have told me when I first started is to forgive yourself that, um, you know, it really takes time to learn what we do. And, you know, it's on a cycle basis. So what you're doing in January this year, you're going to do it January of next year. So it really takes a good like year or two, I feel like to get that build that foundation. And then once you've built the foundation, um, you can kind of grow from there. So just give yourself time and be forgiving, you know, if you make mistakes, because it does take time to build your foundation. Great. So do you have some type of like calendar that you keep like this is basically the year in a nutshell? Yeah. So I think a great way to start off kind of that year cycle, um, the ACGME, offers a coordinator's timeline. It's actually a worksheet. And then they have an Excel spreadsheet version um, that lays out every month and kind of like, what are those big tasks? So for instance, you know, when the milestones are due, um, when does the clinical um, competency committee need to meet? When does your uh, PEC meeting, which is the program evaluation committee, when should they meet? So I used that as my foundation. And then I made my own personal one for my fellowship specifically that I then list out like in January, I start planning for graduation in June and just so on and so forth, like those types of things. Can you talk about uh, what your advice is to new administrators as far as mastering the ACGME guidelines? So when I was in UME previously and then came over to GME, So I can remember my first day I was trying to prepare and have everything ready. I printed off my nephrology program requirements and gosh, I think they're like 30, 40 pages long. And at first when I was reading it, I just had no idea like what some of the things meant. You know, they, they really didn't pertain to me at the time and I sat there and highlighted things like once I would start hearing duty hours, right? That's something you'll hear a lot in just like the clinical competency committee, program evaluation committee. When I'd hear those words, I'd highlight them. So my biggest advice is print off the program requirements. You know, do be mindful that sometimes they can change every year, just depending on your subspecialty and if new requirements um, are going to become effective. So just be mindful when you print, but print them off and read them. Don't read the whole thing at one time. I did it like once a week for multiple weeks. I'd set aside like 10 minutes and I would just read one section and I would highlight. And so then, um, you know, depending on how you monitor your duty hours, I would then, you know, pull out my duty hour section. And that's how I learned to master, like, is this a real true like duty hour violation Um, and things like that. So yeah, I recommend printing them off and reading them. You have an interesting background. So you were in undergraduate medical education. Can you reflect a little bit on how um, being an administrator in, you know, medical school is different than the residency and fellowship programs? 
Yeah. With UME, you have a different accrediting body, which is the LCME. And then with GME, you have the ACGME, which is your accrediting body. So a lot of the tasks that you do in both as a coordinator or administrator, they're very similar. You know, you're creating schedules, you're supporting your learners, which in um, undergrad is students, which in graduate, it's your trainees. So a lot of the job and skills that you need, they're the same in both. So I felt very prepared when I moved from UME to GME. I had all the skills it took to be a successful coordinator. It was just learning now all of the ACGME program requirements, things that your program's required to do um, to stay compliant. Um, that was very different because in UME, they they have standards by the LCME, but I wouldn't say they're as rigorous as like the ACGME ones. You don't see them as much as we do um, in the GME world. Yeah, it seems like in um, graduate medical education, they really um, they really want to know the competency level or the you know the skill attainment of the learners, which is really interesting. And you do facilitate an evaluation process. Can you talk about that? AC uh, ACGME requires that you have a committee called the Program Evaluation Committee, and they specify who has to be a part of that committee that they have to meet annually to review um, the program. ACGME really lays it out for you, like this is what you have to do. Whereas an LCME, um, as a coordinator, like you don't see as much of those like rigid deadlines and requirements, I guess. Let's talk a little bit about how you organize evaluations um, and, you know, what what you do to, to streamline that. Yeah, so for organizing um, your evaluations, it's really important that you look at the ACGME program requirements for your subspecialty because it will spell out essentially how often you need to have evaluations happening because those are requirements. So if we go on a if a site visit was to happen, they are going to check how often you are doing them. So make sure you know what the program requirements are first. But I actually have a, an Excel spreadsheet that I created that I list out like all of the evaluations that I have. And then I explain, you know, who's completing the evaluations, uh, how often do they happen? And um, and then like if there's any special notes that I need to have for them. So that's kind of how I keep myself organized. But really the program requirements are going to guide you on how frequent you need to have evaluations happening. Okay, let's move on to recruitment for um, graduate medical education. Yeah, so I just want to make note, um, I did start in graduate, graduate medical education in 2021. So at this point, when we had recruitment for my first recruitment season, it was all virtual. Um, so I've never participated in an in-person or a hybrid setting recruitment. Um, so for recruitment, when I've participated, I mean, I like to think you're kind of the hostess. Um, you work alongside your program leadership. So that's your program director and your assistant program director. And you plan out, you know, when are you going to host interview days? How many applicants are you going to interview? 
Um, you make sure that you have enough faculty members to fill those interview slots. You may have to be responsible for determining, you know, how are we actually going to communicate with applicants that we want to interview? Like, how do you invite them? We have a system that we use. Um, it's called Thalamus. It's a program our institution pays for, and that's how we invite our applicants. And we actually use it to coordinate the entire interview process. And so really, you're just there to support your faculty, the applicants, making sure you answer their questions. You know, I think as a coordinator, it's a big part. You do so much on the back end. But what you do, I mean, it makes such a difference in these applicants like decisions a lot of times. I mean, I don't think coordinators give themselves enough like credit for the impact that they can have on applicants. Um, so you play a really big role in the day, like all the work leading up to the day. And then even afterwards, um, you know, if they still have questions, they want information. I mean, just being able to provide that and kind of be supportive. Um, I think that's really important. When in the calendar does uh, recruitment begin and end? Yes. So I support fellowships. So for me, recruitment generally starts, officially starts in July and it ends in around November. And then we usually match towards the end. Um, I think actually it's the beginning of December, but I start planning for recruitment usually like April, May. Um, my program director and I will start planning for the upcoming recruitment season. Could you explain what match means? So match is, it's kind of like a binding agreement and that's done through the NRMP and also programs sign up to be in the match. And the match is where, you know, the applicant and the program both decide they're going to participate in the match. And the match is essentially where both the applicant and the fellowship are in a binding contract that they'll rank, like applicants will rank all of the programs that they interviewed with. They will rank them in order in which they want to, they prefer. And programs do the same thing for the applicants. They rank applicants they prefer. And there's a day where we all submit our rank list is what is that's called. And then on this match day, this is where in the back, the NRMP has a system, like an algorithm that they use to match the applicants with the fellowship programs based on their rankings. So then when we call like the match day, that's the day that we all find out, sorry, the applicant will um, learn who they've matched with and the program will learn the same. One of your favorite times of the year. My favorite time of the year, I really love orientation. That generally happens in July. I just think it's so exciting to meet the incoming trainees. And they're usually, you know, they're just so excited to start this new adventure and journey in their career. And it's just really fun to be a part of that like initial excitement and kind of you can kind of set the foundation for them to be successful for the remainder of their training years. This is also called onboarding, is that correct? Onboarding, when I think of it here at the University of Virginia, that happens once you have matched into a program, the onboarding really starts in January. So from January to June, that's when I would say the trainees are in their onboarding phase. 
Okay, so then orientation is when they when they actually get there. And yes, what do you, orientation is when they actually start. Like they come to the institution for the first day and then they're going to start working from there. And what do you do to make it special? What are some of the things that you like about orientation? Well, I like to give my own little... I have like a 30 minute section in the day that I sort of give my own spiel to the fellows. So I really like to highlight the parts where I interact with them. So like, for instance, giving them my communication preference, you know, if you need me, text me or call me. Also, I love doing an icebreaker because <laughs> uh, I think that's a fun way to kind of just like break the ice with everybody. So I've also incorporated that in my orientation section. Um, and then also, you know, we just set up lunches. It's a great time to introduce the staff and faculty to the incoming fellows. So generally, I'll set that up as well. So um, in my orientation spiel, I usually have a PowerPoint presentation. I just give them a little bit of background knowledge on like me and um, my education, how long I've been in medical education as a profession. I also, like I said, establish my communication preference. It's also a great time. We use um, new innovations here at the University of Virginia, which is data management system that we use to track all of our uh, trainees information. So I have them download the app because throughout their year, they can use it to um, log like their conference attendance. They can use it to log their duty hours that we track. So I go ahead and like have them do that right then and there. I also like explain to them about how to utilize their professional development funds. So that's submitting for reimbursement for like conferences they attend, if they want to buy books, um, memberships. So I sort of explain to them how much money they have and what they need to do in order to be reimbursed. And then also just setting the expectation of like logging their hours because that also affects me because I track those. So just things like that, I will make sure that I cover within that time. What would you say to new administrators about how to get along with their program director? I've been very fortunate that both of the program directors I've worked with, I've had a really great relationship with. I think it's really important when you are establishing that relationship, that you're a team, you're a unit. Um, I always love my program director referred to us as the program leadership team, because that's what we are. I mean, I like to think of the coordinator. You're you're basically right up there with the program director and um, assistant program director. So just really establishing that unit that, you know, you're here to make this the best experience and support the trainees. Um, so just letting them know that. I also think it's really important to establish um, their expectations of you, like have them let you know what they're looking for. And then also you, you know, what are your expectations? What are your needs, you know, when working in a team like that? So like, for instance, with my program director, we meet on a weekly basis. He is like reserved an hour for me for an ongoing meeting we have to affinity currently, that it's just time that he lets me come and ask him questions. I keep him up to date of what we're doing, you know, what's coming up next, what are tasks he may still need to complete. It's just that time that he can give me support. Um, so I think that's really important to establish, you know, what you expect and need from a program director as well. 
Do you have any advice for new administrators as how to protect their own uh, work-life balance? My advice for well-being is definitely, I know a lot of coordinators in these roles were overachievers and were always happy and willing to say yes before you actually think about what the impact of the yes you said. Um, so I think it's really important if you are one of those people that like to say yes a lot, like myself, um, learn how to delegate. I think that is an essential thing and a very powerful tool that you can use as a coordinator is to delegate out tasks that you don't necessarily, you know, your efforts like don't need to be, um, you don't need to spend your time in that. Someone else can do that and your efforts be spent elsewhere that's more efficient. Um, I guess example for me delegating out the task is, so I, as a program coordinator, I know a lot about finance, but there are people within my division that are actually like finance specialists who can support the trainees. And so for instance, if the trainee like submits a receipt to be reimbursed, instead of like sending it to me and then I send it to the financial specialist, um, the trainee should just send it to the financial specialist. And then like the coordinator, you know, not keeping track of those expenses that the fellows are doing, that maybe the financial specialist, since they already probably have that running total or can run a report for the coordinator, that you let them do that. And then when you need to have that those numbers, you just ask the financial specialist to keep them, uh, you know, to pull them for you. So that way you can have that information. So, you, you know, you talked about delegating here, which is a great skill to have. Um, what are some of the other, you know, business skills do you recommend that, you know, maybe new administrators take a course or workshop on? I definitely think being organized is an important skill. Being a multitasker, you know, being able to work on multiple uh, projects at one time. What about communication skills? Yeah, no, definitely. I think um, if you can have any type of communication skill, because you're going to work with all different kinds of people. So kind of knowing your style of communication and then how that style interacts with other styles of communication, I think is really important. I've taken a lot of leadership courses that my institution offers just because I do think as a coordinator, you are a leader and a lot of times you're going to do a lot of independent tasks. So I think if you can take any type of courses on being a leader, I know there's something called like dare to lead one of the courses offered here. I think that's a great opportunity and a skill that will be very helpful. So any other comments that you have for a new administrator? Um... Yeah, um, I definitely think there are going to be a lot of times that you're really busy. And even during like recruitment season, you definitely can get burnt out. Try to be strategic and take a day off, you know, once a week, every two weeks or something, you know, Um yeah, definitely be kind to yourself. And and like I said before, it does take a good year or two to like really feel like, oh yeah, I got this. I remember it. Oh yeah, that makes sense now. So just be kind to yourself and forgiving because it, it does take time to get this role. But once you get it, you're going to love it. So yeah. 
Can you talk a little bit, you know, philosophically at all about the kind of, you know, the kind of work you're involved in? And do you feel good about what you do? Do you feel it's a purposeful career? Just a little background. I started off um, out of college. I was a technical recruiter. It was very like metric based and um, bonuses. And I really disliked it. And so I got a position at the University of Virginia working in a clinic at the front desk. And I just loved healthcare. Like I absolutely loved it, loved everything about it. And then I sort of wanted to get out of like the patient care scene and more on the business side, academic side. I thought that's where I wanted to be. And I landed this job. I really knew nothing about medical education as a coordinator to undergraduate medical education, supporting two clerkships. And I I'm a forever learner. I believe in forever learning. And so when I started as the coordinator, I was just like, this is so awesome to get to be a part of someone's like education, because I feel like as a physician, I mean, you're committed to be a forever learner. Medicine's always changing. And so that's really always like resonated with me that I get to kind of be the support system for them along their journey. And so I really feel like that fuels my passion and just like my love for my job. Like I can truly say I love my job because I just love getting to work with different people, whether it be faculty or, you know, in my trainees, especially just getting to be there for them every day when they essentially are doing like one of the coolest jobs ever. And I have so much respect for them it just makes it like a very awesome experience to get to support people and making this awesome career path that they're doing. So yeah, I really love getting to be a part of that. Great. Thanks. Thanks a lot. That was great, Brittany. (laughs) So yeah, thank you. And uh, cool. thank you for your time. Sure. Bye. Bye.